Hey, it's Drex from This Week Health Cyber and Risk Community, and I want to invite you to our next webinar. It's going to focus on what else? Defending health data. I'll be chatting with experts from Rubrik and Microsoft. Register right now at thisweekhealth.com slash rubric webinar. That's all one string, R-U-B-R-I-K webinar, thisweekhealth.com slash rubric webinar. See you online soon. Today on This Week Health. What's the easy button? What can we try that we could get the process and, and buy-in for? What if there was a button in the bathrooms when they were dirty to press and it would send an email and uh, SMS to the appropriate parties to let them know that the bathroom needs to be clean. Like most projects, it's the 80-20, right? Most of it was just getting the people and processes aligned, and then the technology was fairly straightforward. Welcome to Town Hall, a show hosted by leaders on the front lines with interviews of people making things happen in healthcare with technology. My name is Bill Russell, the creator of This Week Health, a set of channels and events dedicated to keeping health IT staff current and engaged. We've been making podcasts that amplify great thinking to propel healthcare forward for over five years. And we want to thank our show sponsors who helped to make this happen. Armis, First Health Advisors, Meditech, Transcarent, and Uperform. We thank them for investing in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders. Now, on to our show. Hello, I'm Jake Lancaster. I'm an internal medicine physician and the Chief Medical Information Officer for Baptist Memorial Healthcare based out of Memphis, Tennessee. And today I'm very excited to be with Mark Zhang, the Medical Director for the Digital Innovation Hub and the Associate CMIO for Brigham and Women's. Mark, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Jake. It's uh, it's a pleasure to be here and I'm thrilled to be invited to this podcast. So. And I'm very excited to have Mark on. We've, we've known each other for, for many years. We met each other when we were both in Clinical Informatics Fellowship. But for the, the rest of the audience, can you just give them a little bit of your background and tell them what you do? Sure, sure. So I am an internist by training, then specialized in palliative care, and then specialized again in clinical informatics. And my current role as the medical director of the Digital Innovation Hub at Brigham and Women's and ACMIO at Brigham and Women's for Digital Innovation. I run a team embedded in IS within our IS infrastructure that really focuses on anything digital innovation within the hospital. We do like kind of four buckets of work. The first is we're a solutions delivery group within the organization. So we're able to build custom developed solutions based on requirements within the hospital or our larger Mass General Brigham umbrella. We also implement innovation projects uh, that are vendor based. So if there's like a vendor that we're looking at that doesn't have a natural home or we're kind of scoping a pilot, our team is a team that can do that. We do what we call innovation consults, which really help support internal uh, staff members at the Brigham who have ideas any stage either back in the napkin to like ready to spin out. We help them get to the next step. And then we also are a true hub for external companies who want to engage with Brigham and Women's in the digital space. They can reach out to us and if there's a good connection or if it makes sense, we make those connections with researchers, scientists, and clinicians at the Brigham. And hopefully we see uh, really great collaborations come from that. And then finally, we're a lighthouse within the organization for digital. So we host events across typically one a quarter where we'll you know, partner with a community-based group like Mass Challenge or 
a more national group like Y Combinator or other vendors to host events kind of highlighting our our engagement with the digital community. So that's kind of the work work we do at, at the iHub and my role. Very nice. And if I remember correctly, even in fellowship, you were doing some work with the in innovation. Can you tell us just a little bit about that past experience and how it you know prepared you and, and led you to this role? Sure, sure. So I actually didn't even know what informatics was until I was a palliative care fellow. I did my residency. It was like a lot of this, like most things, is about timing and luck and, and like maybe a little bit of skill. And I think for me, it was good timing and great luck. I did my residency in Pittsburgh at Allegheny General right around the time the iPhone had been announced, like a couple of years before, and the App Store was coming out, like right when I was an intern. And I remember when I was like a fourth year medical student seeing the first iPhone for me. I think one of the interns had one and I remember looking at like my old Palm Trio and thinking, man, like the game has changed, like that's the future. So when I was an intern and the App Store came out, I don't have a technical background, but I knew that knowing that that's where things were going, I wanted to do something with digital and healthcare and really learned a lot during my residency finding interdisciplinary teams of programmers and and, and, and others to build kind of clinical applications for iOS and then eventually Android. And then when I found my clinical niche, which is palliative care, I also knew I wanted to go to a place where there would be more opportunities. The community and the environment was just a little bit more, I would say, connected than Pittsburgh, which again, is an incredible city. They have all the pieces, but back in 2010, maybe they didn't connect as well. I think now they probably do. Um, so I was really fortunate to go to Boston for, for fellowship at, at uh, MGH uh, Dana-Farber in palliative. And during that time, I used my nights and weekends to kind of connect and network with the innovation community, did some hackathons, I won a couple of hackathons and ultimately created a company and spun that out into a venture-backed thing, which, which still exists. And it was actually, when I was a palliative fellow, I was kind of known as the fellow in the group who did apps. In fact, like during for holidays, we all got Christmas, like holiday mugs with like something personalized. And mine said, this mug is an app, which which I think was like chef's kiss. So I was on service with one of my attendings who now is a, is a, is a good friend. And he, ha he saw a flyer for this new fellowship that was coming out at the Brigham called Clinical Informatics. And he, he gave it to me and he went, hey, Mark, this is something that it seems like you would be really interested. Like the undertone was, you're like a big nerd. You should like look at this. <laughs> and I did. And I was like, you know what, actually, I do want to do this. Yeah. <laughs> so I reached out to the program director and to see if I could do an elective. We got to talking and he was like, you should just apply. And I did and uh, became the first clinical robotics fellow in the program with the, really the goal was to try and figure out how to build these digital tools within an AMC. A lot of the work I did prior to that was really resulting in me not being able to figure out how to get it done in the confines of like an AMC or right. within a hospital system. It's just, I just kept on running into kind of walls. So like 
Well, how I solved that was just going out of the hospital system, finding others and other groups, just doing it outside of my normal day to day. So fellowship was a lot was was a lot of learning how to build these kind of solutions and do kind of become an intrapreneur of sorts. And to, and to that end, after my fellowship, I stayed on at the Brigham to effectively do that, to build apps and help with innovation. And then when this this gig came up, I was really fortunate to be able to take it on. We'll get back to our show in just a minute. Our monthly leader series webinars has been a huge success. We had close to 300 people sign up for our September webinar, and we are at it again in October. We are gonna talk about interoperability from a possibility standpoint. We talk a lot about what you need to do and that kind of stuff. This time we're gonna talk about, hey, what's the future look like in a world where interoperability, where data, where information flows freely? And we're gonna do that on October 5th at one o'clock Eastern time, 10 o'clock Pacific time. We're gonna talk about solutions. We're gonna share experiences. We're going to talk about patient-centric care and see what we can find out. We have three great leaders on this webinar. Mickey Trapathy with the ONC, Marianne Yeager, Sequoia Project, and Anish Chopra, who I'm just going to call an interoperability evangelist, which is what he has been to me ever since I met him about 10 years ago. Don't miss this one. Register today at thisweekhealth.com. Now, back to our show. Yeah, I, I, that's really great, particularly when you're talking about how to build it within the confines of an academic medical center or hospital. I, I know we still struggle with this, I'm sure everybody still struggles with it. Can you tell us just a little bit about how y'all have addressed some of those challenges with uh, building things internally and maintaining it particularly is, is some of the challenge yeah. long term? Ma maintaining is that's uh, <laughs> <laughs> yep yep yep. So I think like one of the things that we do at the iHub is as I said we, we're a solutions delivery group but we're also kind of uh, a support structure and almost like a mentor for anyone at the Brigham who has an idea in digital health. And for the solutions delivery, it's pretty straightforward. It's a top-down approach. So really, we don't build the thing unless leadership sees the problem and asks to build the thing. And typically, when we do that, we'll use uh, fairly standard kind of processes to help ideally figure out like, okay, who's going to do what, right? Like who's going to maintain this thing for how long and da, 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 da. Is this a build or a buy? We kind of come, either that's already pre-decided before it comes to us, or that's like the first part of work is like creating eventually the charter for, for this type of work. And, and then hopefully we maintain it. So during COVID, like I think most groups, because everything was so aligned, everyone was so aligned, we were able to do a lot of really incredible kind of system level interventions very quickly. So one of the, the things that my team kind of created and continued to maintain is our daily symptom attestation tool at um, Brigham and Women's, but also at Mass General Brigham, Dana-Farber, and actually I think other sites use it outside of our system called COVID Pass. And uh, so that was something that is a perfect example of a custom developed application that, you know, because we had that alignment from the beginning, we were able to rapidly create the, the solution, may, you know, develop it, iterate on it, and then also as part of that, have a maintenance plan moving forward. The maintenance plan was my team and other teams who played a role and a substantial role in building the thing. We continue to maintain it in an agile 
format. We have like bi-weekly sprints and it's been it's been a blast. On the other end of that is when we support kind of Brigham innovators who have like really early stage ideas. A lot of the work we do is really making sure that they it's out of education, right? Like folks are typically incredibly talented, incredibly smart folks who who might not have as much experience or in, in digital or doing anything in digital. So a lot of what we do at the initial stages is just understand what they're trying to solve. Talk about some kind of base concepts like what is an MVP? And then we also have a framework at the iHub, which we call the COFT model, which is really something that we do particularly when it comes to like a digital intervention that like the researcher or clinician wants to ultimately try and pilot or, or implement within the hospital system. And we run through it to kind of get a sense of like how ready they are. It's like a readiness scale to actually do the thing. So C is like, who's the clinical champion? And if you don't identify, if you're not the clinical champion, or if maybe if you are, how much time and effort do they have dedicated to do this thing, right? And would they be the people, person that would also maintain the pilot or maintain this thing? O is who's the operational champion. So that could mean, does your superior, your chair, is there buy-in? Is this a problem for you or is this a problem for your department? To actually implement the thing, do you need assistance? Like, do you need actual implementors to do it? F is pretty obvious, it's funding, right? Is there any funding for this? I mean, if not, that's okay. Then it, clearly the next step is like, we need to refine the proposal in a way where we can get you set up for funding or try and do as much as we can without funding to kind of get you to like some kind of either functional or at least conceptual MVP. And then I think the other really important piece, which really only works because we're aligned with our IS, we're part of the IS group at Brigham, is the T, which is what is the technology alignment with our current stack, right? Like our group and our job, I, I, I feel strongly is not to be the, not to be like the tech cops and just say no to things. It's more to make people aware when they want to do a solution that could that already exists within our EHR kind of functionality or already exists in an enterprise like software package that we, we already use. We want to show them like, look, this already exists. Maybe you should use it. And maybe if they still want to do it for research or what have you, it's about making sure there are guardrails. So the expectations are set at the beginning that, look, you can do this for research, but because this exists, there really isn't a pathway to like move this into enterprise. So like, let's understand that from the get go. So we uh, we're all on the same page. That's great. No, that, that's really helpful to understand kind of y'all's processes. And you talked a little bit about the intake, about some things they'll come to you as we've decided we're going to build this instead of buy it and turn it over to your team. But tell us a little bit more about the, the governance, about how projects come to your group. Yeah, and once you're done with them, do you spin them off? Do you keep them internally to maintain? How does how does that work? Yeah, yeah. So I, I tend to think about specifically at the iHub, we have essentially two bosses, right? The first boss is the Brigham and MGB. So those are like the top-down requests where there's a there's an ask to do XYZ and it's coming from executive leadership and we have to do it. We have to figure out a way to do it or accommodate it. Our second boss are all staff, anyone that works at the Brigham through that innovation console perspective, right? And typically it's that request is, I have an idea or I have a project and I want it to get to the next step 
or I need some assistance or my project is like going great or it's stuck. How, how can you help? So the governance from the top down is pretty straightforward, right? Like if it's coming from the top down, we'll work through the existing committees and pathways depending on the project in working with kind of our leadership as well. If it's coming from the bottom up, a lot of this is about supporting whatever the idea or the project is to get to the next step. And sometimes the next step is that, hey, you know what, maybe this is ready to be scaled at larger than just a pilot. And then from there, we work with our colleagues in kind of our central MGB innovation group. To, there's a mechanism we use to help kind of scale these projects. So that's kind of the governance set for, for things that come from the bottom up. Nice. You, know, you talked a little bit about COVID past, but tell me about some other projects that you're proud of. I remember hearing you give a talk about a button that you would put in a bathroom that patients yeah. could hit to clean yep. the bathroom. Yep. I thought that was really innovative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this, so this was like maybe three or four years ago. This is a perfect example. Actually, it's funny. We're actually doing like version two of this now. So that was actually an example of an innovation console, like an internal innovator who already had a relationship and was interested in doing Dr. Peter Chai, toxicologist and, and just like a, just an incredible innovator, already was interested in doing work with these IoT buttons and had a relationship with a company that, that, that kind of created some software to help make them more of an enterprise solution. And this was actually, if you remember the Amazon Dash buttons. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, this was like, you know, two, three, four years ago. And we were looking for kind of use cases for them in the hospital. And the use case that we saw was what's the easy button? What can we try that we could get the you know process and, and buy-in for? And we ended up doing it for kind of things like to flag when like a bathroom needs to be clean or when wheelchairs need to be refilled. Kind of like the use case that the dash buttons were um, originally intended for as the consumer to like refill your tide. Well, yeah. the wheelchair bank needs to be refilled, what if there was an easy button that we could program to alert the transport group to refill the, the wheelchairs? Or what if there was a button in the bathrooms when they were dirty to press and it would send an email and uh, SMS to the appropriate parties to let them know that it, the bathroom needs to be clean. Like most projects, most of the work, it's the 80-20, right? Most of it was just getting the people and processes aligned. And then the technology was fairly straightforward. That was actually, so we published a couple pieces on that, our proposal and then our initial results. And afterwards, it was a QI study. Afterwards, actually, it was so successful that like groups just wanted to use it moving forward and they kept on using it until the batteries actually died and the company that supported the, the whole solution like no longer supported the solution. So actually more recently, we're doing this really interesting, very early pilot where one of the things that we saw with COVID is that people just as a whole are way more used to using QR codes. There, there was always like this tension using QR codes in the past about do people actually know how, you know, I think technology, technologically savvy people, of course, know how to use a QR code, but like, is that the case for everyone else? And it was unclear. Well, now I think we're all pretty familiar with QR codes just with our day-to-day -day life. So we actually, are replicating the IoT button work. We have this other project that the iHub built. It's another solution called Brigham at its best. And it was actually a project I started when I was a fellow called Fix It, 
which was kind of a similar, I, I, like 95% of my career so far, Jake, has been how do I like work with environmental services to give them more work? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I thought it was going to be coming up with names for your projects. It's, it... Well, that's how I know when things actually are super successful. I, I lose I lose naming rights when things are successful and then someone else gets to name them. So, so fix it was 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 what I initially called it. But then when it when it actually got good, the name changed to Brigman's Best, which is which is a fine name. But it was basically it was basically a digital version of the e, the easy button. So now we're actually creating a new version using QR codes that are linked. So th so these are hard coded fix it requests to a QR code. So you can just mm -hmm. put up a we, we put up a pilot on, on one of our floors where we have a sign that anyone can just scan the QR code and it automatically brings you to a pre-filled web form that like says environment central transport needed to clear this hallway and there's a form to fill in more details as needed and we've actually created a really nice way to close the loop for central transport using the same qr code mm -hmm. and what we're seeing is that the engagement there is, is pretty incredible and people really like it in fact they, they're requesting another good sign when these things are going forward is who are your stakeholders requesting um that these things get scaled further and, and this one so far we've seen that which is great so no i mean i can definitely think of a lot of applications for that you know, where if a computer's broken or something's broken on on a computer instead of having them call the help desk and, and go through that you could have the qr code that just yeah yeah straight to them qr code and, and actually i think it's the qr code but importantly it's the platform we had already built to like ingest these fix it requests and the process like this is like all this is stuff it's all iterative right we built this initial thing back when i was a second year fellow which was a really straightforward web form that we like you know linked to email and sms and we got the stakeholders of environmental services to like kind of look at and, and respond mm -hmm. to and that's kind of expanded to become this whole platform called brigham at its best which not only enables you to do fix it send out fix it requests but also is like an employee hub for your real-time shuttle tracking, what's the menu at the cafeteria, resources, and bundled into a progressive web application kind of as a tool. So these are kind of some of the things that I would say are part of our solutions delivery arm of the iHub. Well, well, Mark, it's been great talking with you and catching up. For the audience, can you give them just one or two things that you're optimistic about in, in the next few years with the Innovation Hub? Yeah, I, I think that we've been around for almost a decade now. We started in 2013. 2023 will mark 10 years of digital innovation. And I think that what I and I've actually been a part of it since I was a palliative care fellow. I've been around MGB for about eight of those 10 years, so I was there pretty early. And I actually saw the iHub as a customer first, as a fellow, and then as a um, clinical informatics fellow, and then kind of eventually taking on the leadership of the group. And I think what I've seen is that it's still early days for digital innovation. And also, how do you how do you do it within the confines of an academic medical center? And I think what we're trying to do, and we continue to do, is create processes and frameworks to make this reproducible. And also, um, ideally, to make it something that isn't just innovation theater, but really has like really is connected with 
the true kind of operations and needs, both our customers, so Brigham and also Brigham MGB and also the staff. So I'm really excited actually um, to see how this continues to move forward and how we kind of build this out. So one of the things, this is probably more than a couple minutes, but just one last thing. And one of the things we're really moving towards is how do digital innovation centers like, like the iHub really become subject matter experts in like these new fields that are emerging. So things like Web3 or VR, AR, things like that, the digital prescri prescription therapies. How do we become a true SME and how do we, and, and there's value, there's clear value to that within our organization. How do we track that we are the SME and how do we kind of keep keep track of that and, and um, support that within the organization and, and still also importantly, be the lighthouse so that outside parties know that there's this stuff is happening within the hospitals and, and we're here to support that. So that's the stuff that I'm super excited to work on moving forward. Well, thanks. That, that sounds amazing. And uh, I would love to hear more in the future. And thank you, everybody, for, for listening. Have a great day. Yeah, thanks so much. I love this show. I love hearing what workers and leaders on the front lines are doing. And we want to thank our hosts who continue to support the community by developing this great content. If you want to support This Week Health, the best way to do that is to let someone else know that you are listening to the show and clue them into it. We have two channels, as you know, This Week Health Conference and This Week Health Newsroom. You can check them out today. And you can find them wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find them on our website, thisweekhealth.com, and subscribe there as well. We also want to thank our show partners, Armis, First Health Advisors, Meditech, Transparent, and Youperform for investing in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders. Thanks for listening. That's all for now. <laughs>